0: Thank you for joining Cloud and Clear. I am your host, Miles Ward. I'm CTO at SADA today, but also any other day in the future because this is recorded and so it could be at any conceivable time. I am pleased to welcome Kwaja Shams, co-founder and CEO of Memento, but also superhero in the technical world. Kwaja, thank you for joining us. I am so excited for today's conversation. Thanks for having me, Miles. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> uh, there's, there's there's only two sides of the coin, right? Either you're the excited one or you're the sort of dour one. So you, you took the dour <laughs> slide. I have to, to like be. I hands. cannot match that
1: energy. I, I'll try, but no, I you know I know when I'm bested.
0: All right, here. So Kwaja, can you tell us more about Memento and what you do?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Let me tune that up a notch. Memento is the world's first serverless cache. It gives developers instant acceleration, instant elasticity, and the ability to handle millions of transactions per second with a single API call.
0: Okay, look, so those are big promises. I'm a promise-oriented guy. Uh, yep. Right. I, you know, I think it's critical as engineers are building their systems that they can look under the hood and understand what's going on. But serverless suggests to me that that's not the case. You're just going to handle it. You're taking care of my problems. Like uh, it, Millions, like millions, millions. How many millions? Is it OK? Like where, where where are the bounding boxes around Memento? If you look at some of the world's largest caching fleets,
1: the ones that are running at Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Netflix um, and so forth they're handling hundreds of millions of transactions a second. And we're taking in some of those best practices and bringing them in-house so that customers aren't learning scaling lessons and challenges, like one outage at a time. When a product is truly serverless, you see just productivity. The configurations, benchmarking, outages, provisioning, all those distractions just kind of go away, letting you focus on what what you need to. So it's not... Anything you know, uh, brand new, right? That's just always been the the promise of uh, of serverless.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm a huge student of the model. I, I mean, I think of uh, it as you know from some of the oldest slide decks about anything in public cloud. Like, what part of the crap are you responsible for? <laughs> and there was all this just sort of sliding scale. Like, if you do this all on virtual machines with your bare paws, it's Mostly your problem, like somebody at Amazon or Google or Azure is going to go off and buy computers for you. But by and large, you're in charge of fussing with this stuff. Uh, and the trade off was always. Uh, you know that that you'd be you'd have less flexibility. You'd be you know it'd be difficult for you to be able to get things to work with the specifics of your environment and workload. Maybe narrow down for us. You know, cache is is a big category. There's a mm. whole bunch of competitors. Is there specific products that you you feel like you face up well against? Is there a standard adoption path that you're seeing for early customers?
1: Yeah, Momento is an in-region cache. So if you're sitting inside of an AWS or GCP. Uh, and soon to come Azure region, you can use it to accelerate your application servers. Typically, in terms of where what part of the stack this goes under, it helps your web servers, um, you know, not kill your databases. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, and then it helps your customers get the data faster. So it's a shield on top of your databases, and it's an accelerator facing the, the
0: consumers,
1: um, and then your CFO will love you because caches reduce your spend as well because databases are expensive.
0: <laughs> they, they most certainly are. I am thinking specifically of creating a shield in front of a database on a project that you and I worked together long ago back in the NASA days. I think it may be the only time in the history of ever that somebody stood up an M1 small <laughs> MySQL server with a 64 core read replica hanging off of the top of it to just just keep away the traffic. Keep it away. <laughs> so you know, having a serverless caching system is you don't have to have a furry red bearded weirdo do this on your behalf. You get to have a much better looking quadra do it for you, which is great. The uh, how how does the service work in practice right like uh you know the getting started process that's something you you know contract with you guys through the website and then you get access to an api key and you're off to the races like what walk me through kind of what the first first couple of minutes of the experience feels like
1: yeah, the promise of serverless is you get started with a single API call. And our bar, when we when we started looking at caching, we, we benchmark what is the getting started experience in existing solutions, whether it's ElastiCache, memory store, and so forth. And it turns out that when you go on the console, you're enamored with a number of configurations, decisions that you have to make and get right. Um, and then after, after that, you have to do instrumentation, you have to do, you know, uh, you have to make sure SSL is on, like there's a whole lot of things that you just have to do. Our bar at Memento is that a brand new developer who has never heard of us can get started and issue their first get and set before their cluster comes up if they already knew how to use the existing products. Now that includes the installation time, includes the account signer process, includes the getting the key and just embedding it into our CLI And just saying, create cash, get set, and you're ready. So single API call, you get, you know, you sign up on the CLI. You don't even have to go to a website. You just punch in your email on the CLI. You get a token. There's a generous free tier that you can use to get started. You can build production applications on it. We are not robbing you of, you know, high availability, replication, like, none of that, like, all of that is there your first 50 gigs are are just free um so you get started and you know we'll make it so easy for you like you don't even have to call us we'll call you right we know who's doing what and and when they're about to run their free tier so just making it as easy for the customers as possible just trying to improve the pace of innovation for the world
0: okay so uh you know SADA works with this enormous breadth of possible customers, right? I was, I was on yesterday with this incredible startup. They're totally crazy. They're in our startup program. Uh, and they're, you know, they're they have exactly the architecture you described. There's a Postgres database that sits in the back, there's arbitrary N number of web servers that sit out front. And, uh, you know, immediately my I get the eyeball twitch. I'm going, that database seems all <laughs> lonely like and scared. How, how how do we keep it from doing from from experiencing hot death. So it, it strikes me that that this is going to be the easy thing to insert at that layer for a company that has that clear of an architecture. It works for if you're on MySQL, you're on Postgres, you're on any of the standard open source. Are there any databases where it's like, no, do not use Memento. That's a bad plan. Like things that it doesn't compete with or compat- isn't compatible with.
1: I think the the one guidance that I've been giving customers is don't treat your cache as a database. Cache has a very specific purpose. And, and what we're noticing is that oftentimes customers try to replace their database entirely with cache. And for transient data, data that's just being continuously uh, regenerated, sure, that's fine. But you gotta be careful with, you know, using your cache as the actual database and using it to replace the Postgres's or uh, the alloy DBs of the world. We're, we're there to make them better. We're not there to replace the the, the existing databases.
0: Well, that's awesome. So so look, we're uh we're extreme fans of the product here. I, I've been recommending it to customers. I'm excited about the positive results that they're seeing early on. Any any places where you're sort of, I saw a couple customers you were talking about in the in the press releases, like spots where folks are, you know, some stats, give me some numbers. How, how much better is it? Where, where where do they really see the benefit?
1: One, well, the developer productivity is through the roof. You know, we've taken customers from evaluation to production in a matter of like a couple of weeks. And and that's saying something, right? Like this is not like a development environment. We the memento is production ready. It's built by people who've built mission critical systems in the past. We're operating it, it's ready for scale and it's ready for, for business. And when you make the decision, it's a matter of, of weeks. The other uh piece, uh, and you can deploy into you know your dev environment like by before lunchtime, <laughs> right? Um so that that part is fast. Uh and then you know, productionizing it, writing, you know, whatever you need to do, uh waiting for your deployment cycles. We, we target a couple of weeks for that. Um, the other piece is customers are saving money. So what happens with the non-serverless provision capacity models is that people are provisioning a ton of capacity and they, they provision this ton of capacity for their peak. And then they say, well, I know that if I'm surprised by my peak, I know this system isn't going to be very elastic. It's not gonna, you know, double its capacity instantly. So why don't I multiply it by two or four and just provision double what my anticipated peaks are just as insurance. And insurance is expensive because, you know, it doesn't, like while it may repair your car, it's not gonna prevent your accident from happening, right? So people just end up over provisioning. And as a result, we find out that even like at our public prices, we end up saving customers anywhere between 50 to 90% of their cash. Um, And the third piece um, metric that I'll share with you is I've been going around helping customers look at their cloud bill. Costs are really important to people. It is always surprising to them uh, uh, when they see caching as one of their top three or five spend. And I can tell you like Almost every time I walk into a customer and we look at their bill, caching they're number three or number five, There's just something magical about that number.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never number four. No, that one's always storage, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, we definitely see uh, some very consistent patterns on our side. Um, You know, I, I think the, the pattern that I see even more than that, either, you know, cash is big or. Where is cache? Why haven't? <laughs> what are you doing? Why are there fourteen hundred little database instances and there is no caching anywhere? Somebody's making sort of horrible life choices and just a, uh, unaware of a building block in the stack. So I think it's it's kind of solving for both of those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We we do what we can to to make it easy, save them money on their infra, and then save them money on their developer productivity too
0: yeah you know no, it's it. you imagine like the, you have this whole concept of right i mean the word's been redefined 1500 times is it devops is it platform engineering now everybody continues to sort of shuffle this bit but it, whatever it is called i can tell you that it's pronounced expensive uh and those people are time constrained and any of the things you can take off of their plate is just meaning you can point them at the more valuable problems you have so thinking of valuable problems right you 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 started working with us relatively early in memento's trajectory can you talk about kind of picking sada getting into contact with us how did how did this all originate
1: you know there's a whole lot of very successful startups that are working with sada and it's it was always kind of an aspiration that we got to get big enough to um to call sada up and say hey we want to enroll in your um startup program and we were somewhat humbled when uh, when i reached out and you're like let's go let's let's just get going let's let's get you enrolled uh tomorrow uh, so that was you know it was really nice to to be able to kind of fly with the giants and and to to come to the uh you know to the big kids table <laughs> if you will uh, and that experience has been great we we have learned that fada has got a huge customer base there's a just a A ginormous number, um, a portion of the Google Cloud revenue that that is generated by SADA, and it comes from some of the biggest customers. And it's just really nice for a startup at our stage to just get FaceTime with those customers, learn what their problems are, and to be able to... You know, experience the delight when we tell them that, hey, we can cut your bill by a few hundred thousand dollars here and there.
0: That is the current moment, right? I mean, I don't know how many of our customers are trying to figure out how to take advantage of that whole utility part of the utility pricing model and go, ooh, yay, I can crank that back a little bit. And that that's what it's for. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a bunch of customers that were in data centers. They, they get an easy opportunity to reduce their bills based on improved efficiency once every three or four years (laughs) that's that's too infrequent uh for most of the customers that we talk to so uh and i appreciate you saying you're running with the big dogs we were super excited about uh about interacting with you even from the outset our you know history of working together uh, has made me very confident in the things you invest your time in so it was an easy choice on our part um but i can't be in every single call you have with Mm -hmm. sada which is well Infuriating. I would prefer, <laughs> prefer to be in all of them. But, uh, but what's it like working with the rest of Sada? Like any, any examples of maybe the partnership in action or team members that have been useful to work with?
1: We came to Sada. I think it's great that you're here, but the, it's more about the you know, the company that you've kind of helped create, right, that is, that is compelling to us. The, the SADA team is great. The SAs are, are incredible. And we are a technical product. We, you know, it's a complex product. It's, it takes deep technical domains to, uh, domain knowledge to know where to kind of inject it. And working with the SADA SAs, the SADA TAMs, the caliber of these engineers is just through the roof. And it's just always floors me how quickly they just get it right and and being able to present to them giving a hands on lab it was just fascinating and then them being able to say ah oh, i have these end customers that you should talk to and then bringing us into those meetings was just it's it puts the startup on the map because in the early days you're trying to find product market fit people who are technical who can give you concrete feedback and then point you to where the problem the relevant problems are is the best gift you can hope for as an entrepreneur and we have gotten
0: that from Sato That's awesome. You you mentioned earlier kind of as a, it makes complete sense to me that as a managed service product you're going to want to be in as many of the clouds as you can. Any like comparison, contrast, what's it been like using Google Cloud kind of in concert with Sada?
1: My bread and butter has been on AWS. I, I, I worked on AWS for a while. I used Google at, at NASA as well but for the most part I, I grew up playing in AWS land and it's i had severe doubts about our team's ability to be able to deploy our product on GCP so we hit the you know ground running we built the stuff on AWS and we're like okay we know there's a huge market and we saw customers that were pressuring us because you know existing customers on the pipeline that are considering alternatives and it was really important for them to be able to have the same capabilities on GCP or on Azure for that matter. And this self-doubt on our ability to operate a highly available service uh, went away as soon as we started talking to the folks at SADA. We went through an awesome journey together in migrating our stuff from AWS to GCP and then supporting this multi-cloud workflow. And it did two things for us. One, now we're available in multiple clouds in a highly available fashion. There's a big opportunity inside of GCP. and two we have gained some really crucial knowledge on how this journey works. And we think we can add this this knowledge base to our customers and help them have a more seamless experience as they're considering migrating back and forth between the cloud providers.
0: I hear all the time from the like, big name pundit types like, oh, that multi-cloud thing's BS. You can't be done. <laughs> it's totally impossible. I'm like, well, what about every ISV in the world who is going to really have to like, really? <laughs> so it, I'm glad to hear that GCP, uh, you know, w- was pretty tractable uh, as a as one of the contributors for the GCP for AWS Pro's documentation. You know, I, it, it was tractable for me to help me with Maybe you know an advice that you'd give to other ISVs that are looking down this road of having to support a multiple cloud deployment to meet customers where they are. What you know? What tools have been useful for you? What uh, what building blocks have been top of mind? Getting started quickly
1: is always helpful, even if it's just to evaluate how much of a pain it is. Because in our case, it ended up being way easier than we thought it was going to be. We had some help from Sada, but so one, um, you know sign agreements, plot up, get the team on your side because they can connect you with the right people at Google. Um, so that's been kind of nice, but uh, just start, just experiment and, and see if it's actually as hard as as you might think. Third advice, it's always natural to think that the opportunity might be bigger in the um, in a particular cloud provider because you might have familiarity biases or you might see the revenue numbers are bigger on one side or the other. But the revenue of a cloud provider does not equal to the opportunity for an ISV. You might just find that there's better opportunities for you um, in the in the other providers, especially when people are migrating, they're rewriting software. That is the time to inject yourself. And that's the other reason why we're super excited to, to be here with SADA as
0: part of this journey. I mean, I remember, you know, at the very, 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 very beginning with AWS, where Uh, you know, everybody who was adopting the product was changing in some way. They had to be because there's no such thing as like a legacy AWS user. Well, it's been 12 years. (laughs) And so now there are absolutely Legacy AWS users who have inherited products they have no idea how they operate on the platform they, they''ve they've long since become closed one Dash ignored by sort of local sales teams and uh you know the ability to partner up and help them take the next, in an iterative journey and in making their systems more efficient and more powerful is is a big opportunity. And I think Google is in many ways in the same spot that AWS was quite a few years ago, where the majority of customers are in this kind of shit, I got to innovate kind of mood, I, which is exactly the kind of work I want to be doing, which is why I'm focused here. But, uh, but it's certainly a spot where Once, once you've cracked, you know, broken the seal, and now you're you're in there, and the IDE is open. You might as well sort of check everything and see if there's ways to make all the different parts of it more efficient. I think. Uh, I'm excited about Memento as one of the sort of easy buttons for that that I can put in front of as many customers as we can. So, okay, look, I wanna be sensitive to folks' this time. You yeah, Kwaji, you've done a great job of of handling my sort of rapid fire questions, but forget that it's not nearly fast enough. We can't accelerate, latency is key. We're gonna go to even more rapid fire questions. So uh predictions for the field. Twenty twenty three, what's coming up?
1: Two predictions. First, um, we're gonna see the world move towards serverless. We have now serverless compute databases, storage streams, Momento fills the piece in cache, right? But I think serverless by default is going to be the thing. Um, the second prediction I have is that like the early days of cloud, um, people started, I don't know if you you must remember this, but people started putting a cloud sticker on data centers and calling it a cloud. And we used to call them cloud washers and there was a lot of other, other names. And, and what's happening, we're gonna see people abuse the word serverless. They're gonna take instances, they're gonna take services, and they're going to just start calling them serverless because it's it's great for marketing. So the mission of serverless has got to remain protected because it meaningfully increases the pace of innovation for the world. It increases the, uh, the pace of experimentation, you know, lowers the barrier to entry. The non-serverless world isn't, and it's really critical for us to be paying attention to who's posing as serverless versus the services that are actually serverless.
0: The amount of you know serverless washing or whatever you don't want to talk about it. Right, everybody wants to feel like they get the inherited characteristics of it's easy and it's super straightforward and the utility pricing and there's no risks and yeah, you know, well yeah you people got to actually you know, put up instead of uh, instead of just faking out. Um, uh, who are you inspired by? What's uh, who do you look up to? who, who should we be reading? <laughs>
1: Um, I, I take inspiration from a lot of people and there's, there's different books that I'm reading each week. I, I do have a quick story to, uh, to share about an entrepreneur I met at the last SADA impact. Um, this individual, uh, you know, he just had a passion to be outdoors and he didn't have a lot of money, but he ended up getting a contract to, um, just clean up some of the, uh, the trails in the Washington uh, state trail system. And, you know when he got the contract he didn't even have the equipment the truck the employees nothing but he kind of figured it out and and there's this other part of the story where he hired a couple of people to help him with just eliminating the waste that was coming in like burn the plants that were coming in and, and so forth the greenery and these people didn't listen to him they they started taking away some expensive plants or plants and they just started planting them <laughs> And that for a small business person, that turned into a multi hundred thousand dollar asset that they were able to turn around. And that kind of really made the moment. So the lessons that I learned, one, you gotta follow what you're really, really passionate about. And two, you gotta give your team the agency that they need to innovate because you just don't know when they produce that, you know, that million dollar, hundreds of thousands of dollars like Garden that can be sold uh, to really make your innovation go faster.
0: I'm familiar with that story. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he's he's a he's a fascinating entrepreneur, and uh, and and I beat him racing, and he will never forget <laughs> it. That's that is the nature of the beast, and I'm I'm never letting it go. That tenth of a second is precious to me, Kwaja. Precious. Uh, last one, like any professional advice for our listeners, any 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 your you know your 20 year old self, who what what should he be doing?
1: I think you just gotta trust what your what your instincts tell you. We it's oftentimes people get um, enamored with like analyzing what to do and what not to do, but your instincts are actually gonna tell you the right things. And for me, I just blindly followed the cloud innovation, you know, journey, and I knew something. I didn't know why. I I, any rationale I had for it is totally bogus in retrospect. You know, fifteen years later, right. But that worked for me. I had a ton of fun and I learned a lot. I think I made a reasonable impact on the world by building services that help developers innovate faster. So I would just share the same advice with my 25 year old self that just trust your passion, follow it, and hang around smart people like Miles. That, that helped too. Ah,
0: bah. <laughs> Bah, I do not fit in that list. That is that is a terrible, terrible suggestion. Uh, but but if you know if you want if you want tuba solos, I'm your guy. I'm happy If happy you
1: happy want the that. best bad influence you can get, we can hang out with <laughs> with uh
0: with Miles. That's right. That's right. <laughs> here here to supply. Well, Quadja, thank you so much. And folks in the audience, really appreciate you taking a chunk of time. Uh that's all we've got for Cloud and Clear. Uh if you if you want to learn more about Memento, where do they go? I think it's Go GoMemento. GoMemento.com
1: check it out. Perfect. Um, Perfect. You can get started in under five minutes um, or your cash is free. Um, it is free, but just just try it and let me know if, it's, if it takes you more than five minutes to do your first getting set.
0: Nice. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much. And Quadra. really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and & Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.